0: What if I say yes?
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
0: So first of all, I'm gonna ask you to tell us who you are.
1: Oh, uh, my name is Jay Gittleson, and we have a sort of a connection.
0: Uh-huh. What is that connection?
1: Well, I'm very close friends for many years with your husband, Carlos, and we met with. If you want, do you want to hear more? We met. Sure. We we're, were studying in England. And the school we're going to, Dickinson, had like an overseas program, an amazing overseas program. It's called Roxton, Roxton College, and Mm -hmm. it's in England. And so I didn't actually know Carlos before that. He went to Madison campus in New Jersey. I went to the Teaneck campus. So Mm -hmm. we would have never met if it wasn't for this like study abroad program. Mm -hmm. And it was really a great program, but Carlos was probably my closest friend, one of my closest friends that I met at the school. It was
0: only one semester, correct?
1: It was once. It was the fall of nineteen ninety two. And Carlos and I really clicked because we have like similar sense of humor. We like to joke around a lot, and (laughs) you know he's a kind of was like a bookworm. He liked to study and read, but he was also really funny and like you know we were like jokesters. We were always playing jokes and stuff like that. So, Uh but he's a great guy, and I think we we kind of sporadically in touch we've met before I don't think you realized it <laughs> because it was such a, like a party it was Carl's his 40th birthday party right
0: yes so we were living in Jersey City and he was turning 40 and I must have asked for a list of his friends to invite and you were on that list
1: amazing what an honor I was actually living in Rutherford which is probably like 20 minutes away in Rutherford New Jersey in the Meadowlands just oh. close to Jersey City at that uh-huh. time and I was I was already married, and we had a young child. That was in two thousand nine, right? Yes. Oh, so okay. So our daughter was like eight years old at that point. But um.
2: Did we she come ready. to the party?
1: No, I mean she was young, but she was home. My mother-in-law was like live with us, and she was like elderly. Like mm-hmm. she was more like a to me, she was like a grandmother. But mm-hmm. um, but she was like at home, like with the with my mother-in-law. Okay. And I remember the party was pretty fascinating. And it was like, like very high level games, like intellectual, like word games. I don't know. I can't remember exactly.
0: (laughs) I can't remember either. So did I make made up? Did I make up the games or?
1: I'm not sure who made them up, but there were like a lot of professor types. And I think Carlos was finishing his dissertation at the time, I think, in 2009.
0: Yes. So... Well, he finished the following year, the beginning.
1: Okay, he was working on it.
0: Because he was working on it. So then Maya was born. Then he finished his PhD. Then we got a job in Brownsville, Texas. And then we moved. Everything happened between February and June, July of 2010.
1: That's a lot in a short period of time. A A lot of really special things. I mean, and your daughter. So I really... I so I didn't get to, your daughter. I didn't get to I have not met your daughter and we met briefly, but you didn't really, we weren't really, it was a lot going on. And, um, and then, um, yeah. So when you moved to Texas and we kind of lost, we weren't, we were like in touch every so many years, but it was mm-hmm. like strange that we were sort of, Carlos has a better memory than me. He remembers like every conversation that we had in England. He <laughs> really. He remembers we were talking the other day. He remembers like pranks that we played. I mean, he has like either an amazing memory or, or I just have a poor memory. But um, I have a good memory. But um, I've been through a lot since that time, and so maybe I have an excuse. <laughs> maybe I don't know. I'm just like <laughs> some of the things I've been through. But um, but Carlos is a great guy. He was one of my favorite people, and I guess he was lucky to meet you. How did I? I'm not sure exactly how we met. How did you meet?
0: At the new school. So I, uh-huh. I went to the new school in 2000 to study a um, master's in anthropology. Uh. And he was there um, in political science.
1: Oh, that's how you met. What year was that? What? 2000. Oh, so you already had known each other for almost 10 years at that point. And when did you get married? What year?
0: 2003.
1: Oh, okay. So that was, oh, wow. It was like a whirlwind kind of thing, right? It's kind of happy.
0: <laughs> so we met in 2000. We got married in 2003. And then we started our family and all these beautiful things in 2010.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's great to meet you officially, kind of like meet you, you know?
0: Yes. Hi, Jay. <laughs> hi. <laughs> well, hi again, because I mean, we, we met, as you mentioned, in 2009. But many things have happened since then
2: yeah
0: one of which is this project that i have so um i've asked you to um well i asked you to read first the text that my brother hector wrote in 2016 yes and then to select a moment that i don't know about i'm gonna find out right now yeah Uh, what if i say yes moment in your life but before you tell us a moment I don't know if you were thinking of integrating that into your answer, but I want you, I want, I would like to know what was your take on my brother's text? What did you think, feel, what was your experience after reading that text?
1: I was really moved. Um, I wish, you know, I was, you know, thinking about wishing I would have known Hector you know, like in, in real life and, uh, you know, it, because I have a daughter, I have one daughter and his experience of like, you know, walking either to school or from school and, he, and Valentina saw the the doll and how it was a treasure to her, you know? And then in that moment he let go, he let her, you know, it could have been dirty something, but he let her pick this in her mind, a treasure, right? That she saw this, even though it was a broken power doll, Power Ranger doll, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, he was allowing himself to let her be in the moment, right? And to let her have that moment. And he had a moment for him because he was about boundaries and, you know, and, say, you know, keeping things like that. Um, and it struck me as a father to a daughter and thinking back. And uh, I know you won't believe this. I know you're not going to believe this. This is really unbelievable. But my daughter's uh, 21 now. She'll be graduating college in May.
0: I oh, Congratulations. Um,
1: Thank you, Um, but we were, she was home for the Thanksgiving and it's Mm like, we have a lot of leaves outside of the tree and there's a lot of leaves and I needed help. And so I'm, this is, I'm not making this up, but she, this is after I already read this and I'd actually shared this with my daughter. I shared the story about your mission and about what if I say yes and about Hector and about Valentina because we're very close and it struck me so much and we we talk a lot. So we were raking the leaves and Lizzie is my daughter, Lizzie. Elizabeth, what we call it. she we call it Lizzie. She was raking the leaves. This is I'm not making this up. She uncovered a broken doll doll in the leaves. <laughs> I'm not making it up, and it had one arm missing. And we we left it there. It's still there in the leaves, and it, it was it was like really stirring to me because I just told, you know not long before I told her that story. <laughs> and there's some young girls, you know, the young family lives next door, not right next, you know, in the distance. And maybe they had been playing or maybe, I don't know how long it had been there because I really hadn't kept up with the leaves. Uh And so it was like, we looked at each other and we were like, oh my gosh, that's like, wow, you know? So, (laughs) but but, you know, I could just felt connected with Hector, Uh knowing him or meeting him and just being, it just really struck me. And I didn't know you were gonna invite me to come on to the the interview or anything that was gonna happen. I just mentioned to Carlos that I had checked out the site and how that had an impact on me and um, about Hector. So how did I feel? Uh I felt like um, that it was like a real turning point, you know, for him, I guess. Right. And, and that how, and really the father daughter relationship for myself personally, and how I was really, if I say one, I'm a very like emotional person. So like I don't really want to be emotional or get that, but if it happens, I'm warning you. Um, (laughs) but I mean, the, the Liz, my daughter is the miracle of my life. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm sure every parent could say that, but I'm just speaking for myself, that my daughter, I never thought I would be a father or never thought that it, and my daughter and I are so connected and she, um, you know, I'll get into that later. If you, that for my, yes, um, because it's very intertwined, but, um, but, yeah, that's that really felt like I felt very connected with with your brother since then and also since some of the, uh, the interviews you did with Marty. Mm-hmm. I mean, that really, I mean, you would have no way of knowing this because I never, I didn't say anything to Hector, uh, to Carlos,
2: mm-hmm.
1: really. So you really have no way of knowing what's going on inside of me. And then I didn't know I was going to be, you were going to invite me. I'm not sure even how that came about. But, but just that, um, you know, after listening to the interview with Marty, it just felt like Hector's been a part of me, in a way, like just spiritually, and um...
0: Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah.
1: But seriously, yeah, so... Um, I I Carlos,
0: say- Carlos got very excited with my new project, with this YouTube channel, and then suddenly started getting ideas of people I should interview, and he gave me your name. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and,
0: and then I guess uh, what happened with the doll and your daughter must have been Hector's seal of approval
2: yes
1: definitely. Yeah. <laughs> from wherever
0: he is he was yes I like this yes. guy let's talk to him
1: thank you you know I I'll, I'm gonna hold back I have a lot to say so I'm gonna let you you go on and you guide the conversation because I don't want to I have a lot a lot of things in my mind but go ahead
0: okay so For people who um, haven't gone to my website and don't know what we're talking about, that text is in my website, but it's, um, when I make the video, it's gonna be down here. So it's www.whatifisayyes.com and you can read about it uh, over there. So now Jay, tell us what, what if I say moment you chose for today?
1: Well, it's a really sort of dramatic one. And um, I'm a pretty out there kind of person, like outgoing, but um, something um, was happening in my life in, um, I guess we moved to Pennsylvania in 2015. So we lived all the way, continued living in New Jersey, but moved here. And um, I knew that I had a health issue with my kidneys. Uh, A medication had damaged my kidneys, like years before and they said, you know, it'll be a slow process, but eventually your kidneys will fail. You'll need a kidney transplant. I knew that would be coming, so I was prepared, You know, I was preparing uh, both medically, mentally, everything. I knew that eventually. But we moved in 2015. My kidneys failed, um, and I was near having to go onto dialysis in uh, in uh, here in Pennsylvania soon after we moved to a really. Sorry, I'm not trying to be flippant or anything, but my wife is Catholic, and I'm Jewish. And we moved to a place that I had a vision or a feeling that after visiting a friend in Pennsylvania, I didn't know Pennsylvania or anything. I didn't know where we were, where I was visiting. But I asked my friend, where are we? This is uh, 2013. And he said, we're in Nazareth, Nazareth. And so a Jewish guy moved to Nazareth. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was in 2015. And my kidneys, I came closer to I was very sick and I was ill and I was in the hospital and I wasn't sure at that point if I was going to make it. but. But I pulled through that episode thinking, you know, what would happen, you know, but with, as being, you know, my daughter and thinking about everything. Um, and they said, you know, you'll have to start dialysis. Um, and, in, and sometime after that, in 2000, March 2nd, 2017, there was some time that I was just very sick and, and just holding out, holding on, you know, until I had to start dialysis. So I was 47 years old. So you think I'm probably, you know, maybe Carlos is like a year of difference older than me or whatever. Um, so I was young for someone to go on to dialysis and March 2nd, 2017, I started dialysis and I kept it a secret from everyone in my life, except for my, my family. So this was like people I worked with. I didn't tell anyone. Why? I, thought, I thought people would think I wasn't functional. Um, I was, and here I was an out, very out, outgoing person and out there, but that was something I had kept a lot of things, um, per, uh, to myself that people didn't know about. And, um, maybe in other parts of my life, earlier in life. Um, But I was, um, but this was something that I didn't tell, I didn't tell people. So, and I'd moved to Pennsylvania. So I continued working with, I worked from home because I ran a speakers bureau. So I was booking, I was booking, I started a speakers motivational, inspirational speakers, mostly for schools. Mm -hmm. So that was like a thing. I had been a teacher and then I started this, had this dream about this vision about starting and it's called A Vision in Motion is the name of my, Company. Oh. A a vision in motion, right? It was like a dream. Mm
2: -hmm. My life has
1: been full of these like visions, right? Where had just noticed noticed them. So that was kind of a thing. So I did um I I was not telling anyone. And so I was and I didn't really know anyone here in this area because I was new to the area. So Mm -hmm. my my neighbor wouldn't have known or and when I went on to dialysis, I didn't say anything. And um, I had this, there was a church. That was near like a mile away from where we live in Nazareth. It's not a Jewish area. It's a very, you know, I live near Bethlehem and I mean lived in Nazareth, right? So it's a very biblical kind of setting area. And there was a really picture-perfect postcard church that was just like a mile down the road. We kept passing by there. And my wife said, I'm Catholic. I said, Well, who cares? I'm Jewish. You know, and the reason why, the reason why we went to that church is I met a man in an auto dealership, and he said, why don't you come to this church? We have about 50 people in the church. We started this church. And I'd seen the building. It was like really a quaint, really nice place
2: mm-hmm. close to
1: where we live. And so I tried for eight months to convince my wife to go to this church because he said you'd like it. And we didn't really know many people in the area. And I thought that would be a nice place to go. My wife, my daughter was was uh came up in the church, in the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. I was Jewish just without I didn't really have any family, so it was more or less. Uh, uh, like in the background, just celebrating like Christmas and doing everything that just going along.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My daughter knew I was Jewish, maybe like lit a Hanukkah candle, but it was not <laughs> part of her life, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so we finally convinced my wife to go to this church and I didn't tell anyone in the church that I was on dialysis e- e- either. And um, it was nice and the people welcomed us in the church and it was very, um, it was really- Did you cool.
0: tell them you were Jewish?
1: Yes. I said I was Jewish. I was Catholic. They knew that. Um, They were just welcoming. It didn't matter. At that point, it was not, you know, I was open about that part. Um, But in the spring, we went there soon after I started dialysis, some months afterwards. And I go to, I was going every other day. I was going like Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday to dialysis, like hemodialysis, where you go into a center. And it's just very strange, right? Because I mean, you know, it's just, I was, it was, this a very different kind of time, but, um, but in that spring um, I had like a short sleeve shirt on and the, this man came and I had uh, bandages on my arm from, I had like a, I still have the, the, the fistula, the bump, you know, where you get the access, it's mm-hmm. a, you know, I had a surgical procedure to have that, to get that. And that's where they put the needles for hemodialysis. It's, you know, where the blood is, you know what it is, right? People will know what dialysis is. And so this man said, did you get stung by a bee? (laughs) And I said, and I I waited and I thought to myself, I think this is the first time I'm going to say publicly. And it was right before the pastor was going to start the sermon. And I was sitting in the front and I said, no, I'm I'm on dialysis. You know, I said that for the first time, like in front of people. And the pastor was like an older man. He overheard me say that. And he came running over and said, I want to donate my kidney to you. Just out of like that, just like that. And I and I had, I knew that he wasn't like a well kind of a older man, so I but it was on. I didn't say any. I just knew that he probably wouldn't be a candidate. But it was a very nice gesture that he would say that. And after that, um, the people in the church seemed to want to help me in some way. Um, but it was out, you know, it was out. And that was that was not that was not that was a, a yes. But that's not that's not the um, it's the beginning yes you know? Okay. That's part of the yes. And the other, the yes part, which was more dramatic as related to that, because it was like a cascading thing, you know, it was related to that was that um, this woman came up to me in the church uh, and said, how could anyone help you if you don't share that you need a kidney? There was like a 10-year waiting list for like to be on the list. Mm
2: -hmm. And at
1: that point, I, it's a long story, but the main thing was I wanted to live from, to, from my daughter, you know, I wanted to see her, you know, to see as much as I could. And, um, and so um, I did say that out loud. And then the woman said, you should start a Facebook page. I said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not doing, you know, and I, I was very, it's the opposite way. <laughs> that I know now how to handle something like this, because, you know, I became an advocate now. So I could tell you that later, but um but in 2017 I wasn't sure about that. I didn't do it, but I went to a conference. And the yes is coming. Am I doing okay here? Yes, yes. Okay. So the yes is coming, the about the about really letting the world know because um I went to a conference, I was invited by the local transplant center to come to conference about something about fast track to receiving a, a living kidney donor. I didn't know there was a fast track, I didn't know anything about it. So my daughter came with me, and they were really, it was amazing. There were a bunch of people who were donors with their recipients, living donors. So, and there was a man there, a father uh, who was a teacher in Bethlehem. I was in Nazareth, he's in Bethlehem. And, wow. he, and his daughter, he had donated his kidney to save his 25 year old daughter, who suddenly her kidneys failed while she was in her last rotation to be a, a doctorate in physical therapy. And so she was, yeah, and she was not ill with anything, Kenny. She just, something happened and she ended up uh, devastating. So um, he instantly was decided he would be a donor and then took, you know, year, you know, some testing and all the things. And I didn't know this man prior to that night, but he spoke about it. And the daughter spoke a little bit, but he spoke. And it was just, he was a teacher. I had been, he was a school teacher. I had been a teacher as my first career. And my daughter was interested in a career in physical therapy. It was like little connections. She was in high school at the time. I think she was a sophomore in high school and-
0: Hold a second. The fast track means that a family member can donate to you? Is that what the fast track-
1: That was just the title of the seminar. Um, And that's possible. A family member could donate. So like in this case, people there were mostly family members donating to another family. As opposed
0: to being on a wait list of 10 years.
1: Well, for a living donor, yeah, a wait list is for a deceased donor, you know, so if you're oh, on the waiting okay. list, it's a, it's for a deceased donor, and okay. there are many years, potentially, that you could wait, um, and with the living donor, which they were promoting, like finding a living donor, it could be a family member, it could be a friend. So the fast
0: track is from a living donor? Like or a
1: living donor, thank you. Okay, for,
0: uh, okay. Yes,
1: for a living donor, and we spoke after the meeting, everyone was leaving, and we spoke for like an hour. I spoke to the father, the daughter spoke to my daughter. And the next day I I started a Facebook page. I just thought I was just thinking, well, I, I think something, you know, I should do that. So my yes was to, to put it out there to the world that I was in need of a a, a living kidney donor to, to live for my daughter and to be a lot, you know, to have a, in a way I I didn't really, that fast track thing is kind of, there's no fast track, but, you know, to have a, a, the possibility. So I I started a, a Facebook page, and it was uh. A kid- what did
0: you put on that Facebook page? Like, how do you tell your story to yeah. convince someone a possible donor to?
1: For well, really, it was no convincing. Um, the the whole method and of doing it was I was sharing my story of my need, but it wasn't really to convince anyone. It was just to share my story. That's the way you do it. So uh, could you share my story? Could you just share it? And by their knowing about it and they're thinking, you don't know who's going to know. And they, if they could hit that share button and then somebody else would know about it and you would never ask any, I mean, I didn't ask anyone or have any direct thing, but when I did announce uh, the yes resulted in the, you know, just putting the Facebook page there that people that knew me, not from the church, but people that knew me in life started to come forward to want to donate their kidney to me. <gasps> so there were first two people, three people, four people, five, people, maybe seven people came forward. Oh,
2: wow.
1: Yeah. And it was very overwhelming to think that someone would consider doing that for me. I couldn't wrap my head around that. So that was kind of overwhelming. And um, the, my favorite waiter in my favorite Japanese, he was Filipino. And he was, we met 20 years ago and he was just a waiter in the restaurant. I loved the Japanese restaurant in Rutherford where we used to live in New Jersey.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: we just became friends outside of the restaurant. We used to hang out sometimes together. He was a great guy. And he was one of the first people that came forward. He FaceTimed me, and I was in the dialysis. It always seemed I was in the dialysis when it happened. And he Mm -hmm. said, I want to save your life. I want to donate. I want to get tested to donate. And he did go to the hospital forward, but he, and he was young, but he was uh, not able because he had high blood pressure. He had, like, throughout his life. And you can't donate if you have high blood pressure if you're diabetic or if you're not the BMI, you know, the weight. So that's the three main initial things. Then you talk about blood types and... Uh, you know, other issues, other, there's a lot of matching factors and there's a lot of other complicated, you know, stuff. And then, okay. and but to be medically, the first thing they ask you in a donor screen is, are you diabetic? Do you have high blood pressure? And then they do a phone call. He was immediately wouldn't be able to, cause he was, he was not mm. medically. but I became so much closer to these people, even more than that. And then uh, someone came forward who, um, well, three people came forward, but um, that resulted in, um, in the possibility, you know, I was, I was giving myself a chance to have that and people were sharing the you know, story and it was kind mm-hmm. of overwhelming. And I just want to mention that, um, you know, I'm not sure of how fast I should go into anything else, but, um, that was my yes was to do that and, I did write a book. I did just publish my book, my memoir uh, in June.
0: Can you show us your book? Do you have it around?
1: Oh, yeah, this is like.
0: Ah, oh, do you have the dying to be me I'm in the back? Oh, I just yeah. saw it.
1: Yeah, that was a great book. Um, so, so my, my book is called book? Mysterious Ways, Discovering the Miracles of Life as I Fight for My Own. And you can see my hand right, reaching up for the to, for, to, for the life preserver. Uh-huh. I, was, I had a vision about that, that, I, and that that would be the, if I did the book, it would be the cover. So. But the people that were, there were two people there that were real people that had their hand. There were two of the people that saved me in my life, not not related to the kidney. Oh. And, um, so the book is a collection of, is that good? The book is, yes. the book is a collection of um, kind of inspirational, true stories from my life. And me wasn't a typical memoir, but I did it in sort of non-chronological order, and became like a miracle in itself. The the if, I know you don't want to hear yes, 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 but it was also I sort know
0: of, like, this is I'll, all about saying yes. So you can okay, give us so, as many yeses as you like. Okay, so,
1: so I'll just right say writing the
0: book was another yes.
1: Yes, so they were, and that had a little deeper meaning, you know. Instead, but the yes to. Um, to say tell anyone that I was just to say publicly that I was on that I did in the church, mm-hmm. and then to say uh, yes to letting the world know, So to let someone know, faint. and then to and then to, and then um, you know um, the book in the last six chapters I talk about what happened. It was you know the journey for anyone in, uh, in their kidney journey if they're in a situation like that is really not a predictable one. It's not. There is no fast track, you know, I mean, maybe a father might donate, someone might come forward right away, but there's, it's a journey and of what would happen from the donor side to the, um, but anyway, and to, for recipient and for the recipient to be healthy enough. So for me to be able to qualify, I had to qualify. I did not qualify uh, right away.
0: How do you qualify for?
1: Uh, you have to go to a transplant center and you spend a full day or a half day, full day at that center. Uh, There's not a passport that qualifies you in multiple. You have to go to each center. So mm-hmm. I ended up in the end being being listed, just listed as you have to be listed just for uh, for a deceased donor list to get a living donor. You still have to go through the same process and be qualified medically approved as a as a recipient. You have to go through. So you have to have cardiac testing, uh, you know, uh, pulmonary testing, uh, blood tests. Uh, you can't there's many many tests that the recipient has to go through just to be viable as a candidate
0: so just basically to make sure that if they give you an organ you're gonna last
1: yes that you will you live do. and through the won't go
0: to waste in a sense
1: yes that you have to exactly okay so, so there so that's a process that you go through and I did not that was another I I I, I didn't know I thought I was only going to get one yes but but the, the process of this whole kidney journey, there were, yes, there were important milestones. And when I first went to qualify in my local transplant center in Pennsylvania, Lehigh Valley Hospital in Pennsylvania, is a, there's a lot of healthcare kind of thing. And one of the big, health, it's called Lehigh Valley. And they have a small transplant center. And I did not qualify because I was too heavy. And I was, always, I was always a big guy, but I had really um, gained a lot of weight um like over a period of time and i sort of just really was just despondent and eating and, and and it was really bad and so when i finally got to the transplant I was not close to it i mean i had no other health issues like you know just the kidney a medication had damaged my kidneys like when i was maybe 35 years old and then it was the damage had been done and slowly i was losing kidney function um but the weight was a problem for me and um
0: so the gaining weight was was that part of being kind of depressed or down because yeah. of what you were going yeah. through?
1: Mm-hmm. And thinking that that was part of it, and um, but it got out of hand, and um, and so that prevented me from going quickly. Uh, at the time, I think there was only a two and a half year waiting list um, at the local transplant center, and they wanted me. To, so can I throw my no in to, to the process? Sure. Okay. So there's a lot of no, one no, yes, but I thought about uh, when I, they wanted me to get bariatric surgery, which is like weight loss surgery and go fast. And I never wanted to get that or anything. And I think God helped me out a lot along the way. But, is that and, this
0: surgery where they kind of make your stomach smaller yeah. or something like that? Yeah. Okay.
1: And there was this new procedure where they, they literally cut part of it off and then they just give you a smaller they, yeah, there were different procedures, whatever. And I never wanted that. I was never, I was really at different times in my life into more fitness and doing, and my life had gotten like really whacked out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I didn't want that. And um they convinced me to uh to test for that. You had yeah, to test for that, it was a lot going on, and I finally said no, you know, at at the operating room door. I said uh. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I finally, and they, they took me back and it was a little help from God. What uh, made you say no? Well, I'm not really telling the full, want to really had the full story was that I was against it. And as I was going to the operating door, just saying, well, if it gets me faster to transplant, to lose weight fast and get on the transplant list, I could have gone faster to transplant. That was the, my fast track at that point. I hadn't told it, you know, that was my fast track. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, this God helped out <laughs> with this one. Uh, he helps with everything but I'm just saying this helped me I'm just saying that I was on going to the operating room do, Operating room. I was at the doors of the operating room and a loudspeaker speaker came on not in my mind in real life and it said take him back it wasn't in my head the guy's like I've never heard that we're going that he had the doors open ready to, the surgeons are in there and it said take Giddleston back not a field of dreams type thing Kevin Costner <laughs> it was like this is real and I and he said I've been working 13 years the transporter and he said, I never saw that, but I gotta take you back. And I knew I was saved there. You know, um, they had uh, actually, um, I was praying in a way, you know, that would never have to get that surgery. Um, But I just did it against my better thing because I just thought it would be faster. And it was that they had taken a blood test earlier that morning. And they said, um, you know, I was, I was potentially going to avoid dialysis by getting the surgery quick. And they thought it would take pressure. And it would be better for me, and obviously, and um, the blood test uh, said that I would be uh, not making. Uh, would oh. be immediately uh, attached to a dialysis machine either during or after the surgery. And 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 the surgeon. This is like a fifty, sixty thousand dollar surgery, maybe seventy thousand dollars. You know, I mean, it was insurance. Insurance, but he has like ten people in a day. You know, and. Mm-hmm. And this guy was the sweetest, was amazing guy. He turned in an instant and I said, no, I want to go home. And he was, he turned like a viper, you know, and he said, you're making a mistake. And uh, he said something about, um, I wrote a book and uh, um, you can come buy a copy. I'll sign a copy of my book. It was bizarre. Like it was just bizarre. The guy just changed when he's losing the money on the surgery. Um, I think that's what, he didn't want to lose a patient like that. Maybe he thought it was good. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being dramatic, but what uh, I said I'm, and I got up and when I'd gone into the hospital that morning for the surgery, I said to the, you know, I checked in at the front desk and literally 45 minutes to an hour later, I was walking out and I literally jumped up and cl- like clicked my heels, you know, I was a big guy. But, and I said, <laughs> that was a great surgery to the girl. That's I'm glad, sir. And have a good day. Like, how could I have had a surgery in an hour? Right. You know. <laughs> So um, I didn't get, the, I said no to the surgery. I, I, he wanted to keep me in the hospital overnight and then try it again. And I said, no, I'm done with that forever. Mm-hmm. And I ended up losing the weight. Um, I qualified. They said it's very hard to lose weight on dialysis. So I had a lot of challenges, right? Um, I want to say Lucia or Lucia, I, help me. Lucia. Lucia, okay. Yes. I guess you were Italian, right? You're you're from Mexico. No, I
0: mean, my dad named me, uh, well, my dad chose my name because he loves, um, I, say, I, I always mess this up. I think it's a sextet of the opera, Lucia de la Mermur. Oh,
1: okay, right. But you uh, say so
0: Lucia. either Lucia or Lucia, it's fine. Lucia, it's a no-no.
1: Oh, how do you say it? Hi. Lucia. Lucia, okay, got it. Yes. Um, so when I said in the book, you know, discovering the, the miracles, it's a subtitle, discovering the miracles of life.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I found
1: that to be sort of a miracle, you know, it was sort of a, not a great thing that my blood work, but it got me to think for myself that I'm gonna really make an effort and, and I, I did, but they said it's very difficult to lose weight on dialysis when you get on dialysis and I was close to dialysis. And when I finally went on, I had lost a few pounds, pa- a little bit of weight, um, but the physician assistant, you know, who runs the center, the Mm -hmm. physician, he -hmm. said, yeah, sure. You'll be that one in a million. Yeah. Right. You know, you should still go back get that surgery. And I guess I was that one in a million because I lost the weight on my own. And how did you
0: lose uh, it? Like, did you create a plan? The very, a lot of discipline and very committed.
1: Yes. Uh And it was, and when you're on dialysis, there are a lot of restrictions, food restrictions. Mm -hmm. So it kind of helped a little bit, but it was, it's very hard with the fluid in and out and doing that, to lose, I had to lose another seventy-five pounds. In how
0: in how many months, years, I, days?
1: No, no, no. I, I. Well, you get I, you get credit for time served on dialysis. So, the the day you start, you get credit for every day. Like once you do get on the list, they it's a law. So I wasn't losing it, but yeah, that that's not your question. But it took me from let's say March till like a year, maybe a year, or a little under a year.
0: To lose 75 pounds?
1: I I lo- Yeah, I lost it maybe less than that, but the yes that i getting to,
2: uh-huh.
1: it, that was a no that led to, you know, doing it, feeling, doing it myself and knowing that's my rest of my life and why was I going to have all these other complications, potential complications? Some people get it, some people do, some people gain the weight back. I don't know. I'm not saying other people might have success with that. Um, mm-hmm. So please forgive me. I'm not judging or anything. I was there, but... um
0: it was not for you.
1: Yeah, and mm-hmm. so when I um, when I had gone to the, uh, the the transplant center originally, and they denied me, I was in a tug of war. Like they had a folder when you go in for the evaluation, and I wouldn't let go. And the nurse was like, "Give me that folder. You're, you didn't qualify." You know, and I was like in a tug of war with the lady. <laughs> and uh, and so um, I was very hesitant to go back to be rejected. I was just at the level. I mean, I had to lose a hundred pounds from mm-hmm. the beginning. That's crazy. I mean, think it's just insane, right? So I'm still a, kind of like, a, you know, I'm not a skinny guy, but I had to lose like in the end. So I lost maybe 20, 30 pounds before I started the dialysis. Then I had to lose another amount of weight. So it's this story might sound crazy to you. I hope I'm not being sounding crazy. Um, no. So I went and the there was a great um, medical director and actually two, and I thought I could never like. And the one guy left the set to do some other job and a new guy came, he was happened to be Filipino. And I loved this guy, I loved him. I mean, he was so, we just, he was so like calming and he always took the time, he only was there once a month to do the Did round. you know the waiter? No, no, no really. <laughs> but um, he was such a great guy and he would only come there periodically because there's a, you know, to do the medical assessments, whatever. And he always stayed, it was like five minutes. Most people were half out of it, you know, cause they were so ill in the dialysis. And I was like, you know, young, I was ready. I wanted to talk and do and whatever. And um, so the man, um, his name was Dr. Alasso. And he came and I didn't want to go, uh, go back to the transplant to the get reevaluated because I thought I need to lose another five pounds. And he said, Jay, you're ready in 2018, you're ready. And I said, yes, another yes. I said, um, yes, I'll go, you know. And um, I had my gym shorts and I had everything on and the head transplant surgeon examined me. He says, I could work with this. I can work with this.
2: <gasps> and so he
1: listed, I got listed. So getting listed was just getting listed was a big thing for me, right? I had no cardiac issues. I had no other medical issues. I mean, it was a lot to have kidney failure. So no, let's
0: let's pause for a moment. Yeah, go ahead. From the moment you were about to die, let's say in the in the hospital, the first when one day when your kidneys failed,
1: 2015. This
0: moment, how many years have gone by?
1: Well, um, 2015. I was critically ill. I was bleeding internally. That was 2015, and then I lasted another year and a half, very sick, resisting going on dialysis, resisting, mm-hmm. resisting, and then they finally said, "You have to go." um that was so from there three years so it was okay. 2015 16 17 about three years had passed from, mm-hmm. you know, from that time um but i had been accrued yeah so i was on from march 2nd 2017 i was getting the time the days that they would get back right um but yeah about three years so i was in kidney so you get
0: listed and then what happened
1: i got listed in pennsylvania and they said that'll be you know six seven eight years you know they you know for- oh
0: my goodness
1: So I knew that that was going to be tough. I mean, you, over time, you get, you have to get reevaluated every year on the house as a patient. So it's not just one time So every year you have to go back and prove your health that you can make it through this, you know, that you're going to like, you know, make it through the surgery and be Mm -hmm. um, able to live and they don't just give it out, you know, give, and um, I was young compared to most of the people. So um, that was 2018. I went listed and then um, Then I had around that time, then I I waited to make the Facebook page until I knew I was had somewhere for someone to ever go to test. Mm -hmm. And I went to New Jersey. I don't know if you know, like St. Barnabas Hospital. It's in Livingston, New Jersey. It's a more uh, established hospital. They're known. They have like the number one burn center, I think, in the Northeast or something. It's a very top place. They have a large transplant center. And they had like, um, and I went there a few times and I had to meet for extra surgeons. Meanwhile, my daughter is with me in some of these appointments. She's my daughter is finishing pre med right now. She just finished. She did pre med program, so she got to meet all these doctors. Maybe that was a side thing, and she got to talk up close to a lot of people. Uh, you don't want to go that way, but that she did have a lot of weird, you know, experiences talking up close to different doctors and stuff. But um, I got listed. how old is she
0: at this moment when you get She's, listed finally? How old was she? Um, she was in. Um,
1: she was a junior. Um, she was fifteen. 15 or
2: 16, 15, uh, sixteen, fifteen, fifteen, sixteen, seven, sixteen.
1: Okay. I think something like that. Um, 16 or 17, something. She was a, maybe a sophomore in high school, junior. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so then I went, I, I knew that I had some friends in New Jersey and I thought, well, I thought this process was going to be over quick because in 2018, remember my friend, the waiter, he couldn't, Thing. And then a few other people came, somebody was too heavy, somebody was just too old. I don't know, Some somebody's mother wanted to do it. I mean, there was a lot of different kind of scenarios.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: it looked like it was coming to an end. And a man who happened to be Jewish, a secular Jewish guy in Englewood, New Jersey. I, I th- feel like you know New Jersey. You don't really know. You know, you know the No, you're I,
0: I, I only know Jersey like, City, okay, and you. when we traveled to Willingboro where my in-laws lived, that,
1: that's all I know. Okay. So anyway, yeah. So that's a, but in, uh, in some other town in New Jersey, this guy who I had met um, one time, I met him at a speaking conference. Remember, we work with speakers. And mm-hmm. this man was a speaker sharing his story of overcoming depression. Mm-hmm. And um, I met him at a speaking conference, but I saw him on Oprah the first time. He was oh. with his wife, was a famous supermodel. And the wife was very close friends with Oprah. And maybe in the mid early 2000s, I saw him. I used to watch Oprah and I, to, and I saw him on that. And they had written a book together about their journey of overcoming depression. She was very famous and he was the manager, her manager and they used to travel around the world and i didn't know him but i happened to meet him speaking later years later and he was going through a divorce with the after many years it was a little sad for him mm-hmm. but he um we had a dinner a couple times and then for 10 years we lost touch and he saw my facebook page remember yes to the facebook page mm-hmm. he saw that and he called me and said what would it you know what would it be to be a donor he had a daughter he has a daughter the same age as lizzie
2: mm-hmm.
1: She's also a model. Okay, and whatever. She's six foot tall. Whatever. And so she, he spoke to his family, his daughter, and he, um, I had already met some donors. So there's something called donor champion, where someone can advocate, like can share their story. So if you, I I knew several donors, remember the man, the teacher in Bethlehem, and I had met another man who was very well known as a donor. It's a long story, but he did. and And I had become friends with him, this other man. Mm-hmm. His name was Brian. He became a big donor champion. And he was a similar age fit guy in his 50s, like the other guy, uh, Phil, his name was Phil. And he was fit and and he called me in dialysis. He spoke to the donor about his experience. And I got a call. I was again in dialysis. It always happens I was on a Tuesday. And I was getting my treatment and I got a call from this Phil. And he said, I'm your donor. I, I want to do this, you know, for you. And I spoke to my family. And anyway. <laughs>
0: So this Jewish guy mm-hmm. ended up talking to this.
1: I put him in touch with. He wanted to speak to someone, and I had the idea. Well, I met this other man, Brian, who I also saw on a television show on the Today uh-huh. Show on NBC. That he had become. Uh, out there was a difference. You could be a family member, be a donor, or or you could be a friend, or you can be some be an altruistic donor, not knowing who your donor is, and just decide which is rare, but this man said he had a good life, man, Brian, uh, the reason I saw him on today's show is that he had donated altruistically, not knowing anyone who was sick. He just went to his local transplant center in New Jersey, St. Barnabas, okay. and he said, I had a great life. I am uh, I had a wonderful life. I'm a stay-at-home dad. His wife was a corporate executive. He, re- he stayed with four kids at home and he was a great guy. And he was, not only did he save the life of someone in the database, an older Asian woman, Um, but it started a chain. So the woman's daughter who didn't match her mother, she agreed. And it's called, uh, like paired donation. So it started, she donated then after the mother and then someone else donated and started a chain reaction. I, I, it's in my book. It's a story in my book called chain reaction. And And Brian is a very close friend of mine now. It started the longest kidney donor chain in the United States history. He just wanted to help one person. But it, it, started yeah, so it became, so that's why he was on TV and the media. And I just saw him on the show. I mean, like I saw the, a lot of shows involved here, but, but no, this man, Brian, I saw him and there was a video and I posted the video from the Today Show on my Facebook that I said, yes, I'm going to do Facebook. <laughs> and from that, Phil saw the Facebook page of this man and he's contacted me. I guess people were inspired by that. Yeah, that's why I put it. Maybe someone's inspired. Mm-hmm. And, um, I ended up getting a call the next day that I posted it, not from Phil that day, but from a guy that I worked with and he was paralyzed in a wheelchair. He's a motivational speaker and he's a paraplegic. Wow. Um, and I booked him. I know him for 20 years. He's very inspirational. And he said, Jay, I saw your post on the Facebook. I went to high school with Brian, the guy from the today show. You had gone randomly to high school with him. He said, yes, a lot of yes. And he, um, I said, could you connect me with him? And we started this friendship and that man, Brian was available then to said, if you need any help. And then he, he's the one that became a donor, a champion. I called, they called donor champion. Mm
2: -hmm. He shared
1: his story and he was honest, you know, there was some gas and pain, whatever. And then I got the call from Phil, the man, the Jewish guy. And he said, "Uh, I'm going to test for you. And he went right away to the hospital in New Jersey, that same hospital that Brian had donated, Mm -hmm. St. Barnabas. And um, he said, I want to go fast. And he said, why are they going so slow? I want to go. I want to help you. And um, he was telling me. Normally, it's all confidential. But he chose to tell me what was going on. That was his choice to say something to me. Like if it was your sister or brother, they might say, OK, I'm going today. You know, It's unusual. But he was telling me. And um, about six months later, he called me. And he was crying on the phone, hysterically crying and I was just concerned. And he said that they disqualified him. They disqualified oh. him, they disqualified him um, and it had to do with um, his history of depression. They thought it was, they couldn't go, he, it might not be good for, for that part. So he was devastated. We had him over our home. I was just comforting him. I was just like, I was just, we became really close. We became like brothers through that process. We were very, and we still are, but we became very close. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. he said something to me that was really the difference maker in the whole process. Had I not said yes to the Facebook, I would have never, no one would have known anything. Nothing would happen. So it wasn't fast, fast track, but it was a track.
2: Mm -hmm. And he
1: said, I'll never stop until I help you find a donor. And yeah. And about, um, almost a year, a little less than a year later, he called me and he said, I met a woman who, um, I think it helps, wants to help. I I know another Jewish observant Jewish woman in Teaneck, which is a very Jewish town in New Jersey, near New York city where I had grown up actually and spent a lot of my life. FDU, remember where Carlos went to Madison, the nice campus, the country club he went to, but I went to like the city, you know, the the Teaneck one. My father was a professor there, okay. So he went there, he called me and, um, and um, he, I'm trying to remember where what where I left off there. Just that um
0: that he had someone for you. So, oh, oh, women... so that he
1: he had met this woman randomly who was a physical therapist who had donated her kidney to her husband to save her life. It's a whole story. And I did talk about it in the book somewhat. Mm-hmm. And um sort of that's not the main part of the thing, but it, it was in there. And she that is the main part that she said she didn't know me, but she said, We we're gonna help this guy, Jay. We're gonna help him. And uh, she said, there's an organization in Brooklyn and it's called Renewal. And it's a group of ultra-Orthodox Jewish rabbis that help facilitate living kidney donation. And um, and I was, you know, I was Jewish, but not, that had been, that was like sort of, that's, you know, they wouldn't maybe consider me Jew, you know, that's Orthodox. <laughs> and so I called the number and they said, well, what temple do you belong to? I said, well, I don't belong to a temple. I go to an evangelical Christian church in Nazareth. But I'm Jewish, you know, and they said, oh, well, we'd have to, you know, you know, you'd have to talk to a rabbi about that. And um, it was really the woman. Honestly, um, they're great people there. But it was really the woman who advocated for me. And, you know, really, she called all the rabbis. I mean, I'm on a video thing here, but it's true. Um, and I got calls from all the rabbis because she really she was a champion for me. And I had to go for an interview and I had to be accepted. And they said there is no kidney for you here. We could help you build a campaign, to in your home community, so that yes, in the Facebook led to all these things. And um, in uh, May of 2019, May 6, 2019, I had a kidney donation awareness event in Nazareth. I didn't have a big enough living room to support. They needed a hundred people. I needed to. They said we won't come. We'll send a rabbi all the way from Brooklyn to come and do an education session on what is living kidney donation but you got to have to get hundred people, guarantee.
0: Why, why that number?
1: Because they need to have a larger sample size uh, and very few people they said will necessarily come forward and they do a donor swab. Oh. Trans- Transplant center doesn't do that. They do it with both, but this organization did an initial to see if they could narrow down the field. And they said maybe three or four people, maybe five out of a hundred would even just come forward at the end of the meeting, no obligation, but just to do the swab. And then they pay for the lab testing to see if someone is a close. And then that person they would send to the transplant center and they honor the donor. It's all about the donor. So they would help the donor. A, if I could find a donor from one of these meetings, if they, someone came forward and we agreed and was an initial potential match. This is the world of the rabbis. You know, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's, they just finished their thousandth transplant last week. Thousand, one thousand. Wow. So um, a great organization. And then they would walk, support emotionally and physically they would meet them at the hospital. They would take care of them, pay for all their expenses and their lost wages at the end, it's a nonprofit. And I thought if I could find a donor I think they're gonna be taken care of, you know? But I couldn't go to New Jersey or Pennsylvania. I had to go to New York City. They only work with the New York hospitals, the like Cornell, Columbia Presbyterian, uh, uh, NYU. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: um
1: Montefiore in the Bronx, um, Hackensack now in New Jersey. So I would have to go to a third transplant and do another all day thing. I went as fast as I could give me the first appointment and I went through and I qualified for the third transplant center, third state. And I had to, and that was the best thing. That was the best thing. I, yes. I ever did because it's an ama- amazing, transplant center. Cornell, Wild Cornell, New York Presbyterian Wild Cornell. Okay. I qualified there and I fast, uh, they helped me to with the fly, you know, what you should do for a flyer. And they said, we won't come unless you have a hundred people. We need a lot of people. We have, we have limited resources. We can't, we have so many people you have to guarantee. So on May six, two 2019, I asked a friend from the church if he would host the meeting, you know, at his house, cause he had a big estate down the road to some, he had a big place and I have a little place. So he did. And um, remember I mentioned field of dreams about hearing a voice, but It was like the field of dreams. You've seen that movie, right? The field of dreams, Mm -hmm. Kevin Costner. And you remember Mm -hmm. at the end, all the headlights are coming in the distance. Well, -hmm. that was what it was like for my meeting. Just cars lined up. (laughs) Yeah. It was like that. I said that in the book. It was like the field of dreams Uh
2: and
1: and they came um, and I had almost a hundred people came and two rabbis came to Nazareth, the black hats and the outfits and everything. They were fish out of water in Nazareth Um, and they came and this, Thirty-five-year-old rabbi, rabbi Moshe, Moses. That's Moses. Moshe. Okay. At Moses, and he had been a donor. He was an altruistic donor. He had six young children at home, and he had donated two years earlier just to a stranger. Uh, he walked the walk, and he talked the talk, and he was mm-hmm. funny and inspirational and amazing, and everything else. So he answered all the questions, and then I was just in. I was just supposed to be in the background. Um, but um, you talk about the miracles, right? The miracles of life. The original rabbi who, who does all the outreach got sick an hour before, hour and a half before the meeting and said, "It's we can't come." And I said, "I have a hundred people here." And they sent that back. He was a backup rabbi. That uh-huh. backup. So and so him and another guy came and it was really God because that man was supposed to be there, Moses Moshe. He was supposed mm-hmm. to come and and he came to Nazareth to help save my life and he did. He made this amazing presentation and they set up in the kitchen, but they don't expect five people maybe to come forward. So they only brought uh, 15 swap kits because they don't expect a few people and 27 people wanted to no! come- Yeah. And they ran out. They ran out of swap kits.
2: Wow.
1: So, but, uh, but so I was sort of overwhelmed that everyone was yelling, I want one. They had to mail them to people. So I thought that I thought it was going to be over when Phil, you remember, he was going to donate, but uh-huh. he, he couldn't go through with it. I thought that was, it was over in 2018. So I thought, here we are in 2019. I did a second meeting at a Jewish temple, at a temple in Teaneck. And I had five or six more people so I had over 30 people had to, uh, come, came forward and swabbed and filled out the application. So I thought it's gonna be over. And so it was May, 2018, June, nothing. July, August, I didn't hear anything. September, nothing. October, and I was lo- starting to lose hope um, that you know, what was gonna happen um and i was still on, obviously on dialysis and uh, they said don't ne- don't ever call us you know we'll never tell you anything don't call us. the only time you'll ever get a call is 2 weeks before the surgery you'll get a call from the transplant center it's confident 2
2: weeks
1: 2 weeks before we'll never you'll never hear anything we'll never tell you anything so don't call and that's the way it should be to protect the donor, you know, any potential donor. People can be in it, out of it. They can do whatever, the, you know, it should be like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but it's hard for a recipient to be waiting like that. And um, at the end of the, I was losing hope. And I, in October, I did call, I did write an email to the organization. And I said, I, I just want, you know, I'd like to do another meeting. I didn't do enough. You know, maybe I didn't do enough. <laughs> and, you know, and uh, they said, unfortunately, they they don't have the resources for that. And you'd and maybe in a year or so they could come back and I said, I don't want to be on dialysis in a year, so I figured I'm on my own. I couldn't understand that. I mean that there were over 30 people and nobody it was nothing. so uh, I couldn't understand it so it was it was October and I decided I would just I told them I said, I'm you know really want to be working with the organization. I said so I'm just gonna maybe I'll do a meeting on my own just to keep the keep it word out. And I approached an, a man in another church, another pastor, and he he donated his like multi-purpose room. And I thought maybe I just didn't do enough. I thought I did enough. I thought I was doing it. so. He, um, you know, yeah, I do another meeting. And about a week later, after I had this idea about this other meeting, I I got a call, and it was from um, Cornell. They call? No, uh, the Cornell transplant, the transplant coordinator from Cornell, where I was, you know, the hospital. Uh-huh. And the, her name was Vanessa, and she called and she said, um, "You have a living donor, <gasps> anonymous, anonymous living donor." That's
0: that's it. Two, week bef- two weeks before the surgery phone well,
1: call. It's, yes, but this but is a
0: different phone call.
1: That was the phone call, but it's okay. do- but the surgery date is donor driven. So this the, so they were telling me to come in two weeks for the for, um, that they're telling me in ahead of time that you have a donor. But that the donor decided they want to do it on this date and they're anonymous and you can't know who it is, they won't tell you that it's really up to the donor to reveal who was. So I was wondering, who could it be? You know. So the so I did have a little more time because the donor wanted to do it uh, more closer to Christmas, I guess. Uh,
0: so this is Christmas around Christmas this was, 2019?
1: This was in um this was in the end of October 2019. and beginning of November, something like that, end of October, beginning of November.
0: But for the surgery, possibly happening during Christmas of that year?
1: Yeah, they said it'll be either the end uh, end of December, December, right, somewhere in December, and they were letting me know um, to, you know, don't get sick, and you have a donor, and just don't get sick, and do this, and you have to come for your pre-op, but it was like, I got a warning call. I did get a call that this is going to be happening. I'm I,
0: starting to get nervous because in 2020 is when the pandemic begins. <laughs> like
1: yeah, I never know. Your no. order line, Jay. Yeah. Yes. And was right at the Who knew, right? I was another miracle, right? Mysterious ways that would happen. So I was wondering who's a donor. And I decided though, instead of Instead of abandoning, I had this room. You know, remember the pastor gave me the room for the thing. I said, I want to pay it forward and I want to do a meeting about organ donation awareness and I want to uh, help other families. I was still on dialysis waiting, but you know, for the surgery date, but I knew that I, I mean, anything could happen, but I, I wanted to raise awareness. And so I went, I should have been resting maybe, but I went full speed ahead and I went to do this meeting and I started to invite people. I, I invited the local transplant center, both donor, because there's two teams. There's a donor medical team and there's a recipient. They keep everything separate. It's always separate. Mm-hmm. So but both coordinators from the local hospital transplant center came and they set up a table about information about for other people. And I invited, remember Brian from the Today Show, the donor mm-hmm. champion? I asked mm-hmm. him to be the keynote speaker. He mm-hmm. came, he came all the way, all the way up to Pennsylvania. And Phil, remember Phil, the uh-huh. he wanted to be the donor? I made him the master of ceremonies for the night. <laughs> <laughs> so he was great. And then I invited the gift of life. I didn't know that November was donor Sabbath. Now oh. it's a religion, for all religious organizations do support organ donation, even Buddhists, everybody. Does. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's it all. I, it's really kind of a uh, thing like that. And mm-hmm. so they, I didn't know that, but it was within November and I spoke to the director in the gift of life, which is in Philadelphia which handles all the deceased donor stuff and all that. And they have outreach and they have the volunteers. And so a donor mom came to speak. She had a table giving out information about on your driver's license, you know, signing up.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: her 18 year old son had an aneurysm uh, sitting on the sofa uh, out of the blue and uh, he was brain dead, but they, he was alive on life support. And they agreed, and they, she saved, I think, seven lives. He, uh, he gave, oh. Liver, liver, kidney, two kidneys, that's two people. Um, I think even, I, he, he had cornea, skin, they donated so many different, he saved so many lives. He he did so, I mean, it was unbelievable. And the mother was so emotional. It was, uh, it was so moving, you know? Okay. So I had all these different speakers and tables and information. And I invited the, the news network, the regional, like you would call, I'm saying like in Ithaca I don't know what the you know there's always like a regional network in New Mm -hmm. Jersey's News 12 do you have like a regional thing in Ithaca no idea (laughs) so it was like the wasn't like NBC New York but it was like the regional network that covers this part of the world
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: it's called uh channel 69 news and I had contacted them in advance and the anchor sometimes did he came you know, to do the whole report and I interviews and, and they, they covered the whole event. It was on the 10 o'clock news. But the wow. miracle but the miracle of the whole thing was that I had this anonymous donor and I was doing this just to pay it forward. Right. And a lot of people from the church came, but I didn't, the the pastor wanted me the day before the Monday meeting, two weeks before the surgery, that was two weeks before the surgery. And he said, I'd like you to get up and just in the praise time in the church to say that you'll be having a donor that you you have a donor. And I said, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to take focus off the tomorrow, the Monday, November 18th, whatever, to people would lose focus about helping other people. I'm already, you know, somebody's going to help me. And he said, no, we really want you to do that. And so I waited in the front, you know, in the front pew. It's a tiny little church. There's only 50 people in the church. <laughs> 20 men in this little church. And um, and they forgot to call him. So I went back to my seat. And then a man who sometimes would stand up once in a while, was very like, a, never, when he spoke, like EF Hutton, he, when he spoke, it was something, you know, moving.
0: Mm-hmm. And he was a
1: truck driver, 18 wheel truck driver. His name was John and he was sitting next to me, you know, right there a few feet away from me for the whole time, for all those three years that I was in the church. He um, was quiet, but then he spoke, said something really important or inspirational. Um, he's about six foot five, tall guy. And he gave a speech, he had just gone to Haiti, for um uh when I had that meeting uh for the May meeting, he had gone. There was some turmoil in the world and they had to postpone the trip. There was a lot going on, but he did go later to Haiti during that time. Um, after I had the, he was never at any meetings, I never knew anything. But his wife had come and she had swabbed and uh, remember the 15 swab kit. She had taken the 15 swab kit, I didn't know that at the time, and she put <laughs> it in her purse, but he said no. He he's a big guy, but he would never do surgery. Later said that to the wife, you know, we found that out. He wouldn't be doing that kind of a thing. Um, but mm-hmm. she had convinced him just before you go to Haiti on the church mission trip to help with the orphanage. Could you just swab? I'll mail it in, you know. And at the last minute before he was leaving to go to the airport, he did swab and she did mail it in. I never knew anything was happening, uh, obviously. And um, he was, got. we thought he was going to announce that he was going to become a missionary and be, he loved Haiti. It was so enriching to him. And some people did go on to do stuff like that. So he said he had a new ministry, a new ministry, a new uh, mission, I think ministry. I what? forgot. What's the word? Ministry? I forgot what he, that's the word. Um, no
0: idea, but a new.
1: A new pathway, a new, yes. a new calling or God. Uh-huh. And so um, he gave this very emotional speech. And then I eventually realized what was happening. And then, wait one second, one second. And then. And then he, um, he said that uh, he had directed his wife to, to get a Christmas, it uh, looked like a Christmas present. It was a box and uh, it was a box here and it said um, for you on your special day. And the wife handed the man, John, the box and then he came over and he gave me, they put it on my, and I was just crying. I knew it was happening. He was the donor. He was going to lay down his life for me. He was the donor, <gasps> anonymous donor. A day the before, guy
0: next to you, the true primer, that
1: yeah, and I opened the box. It says for you on your special day. Oh my and, and inside the box, I the, I did, I couldn't open it right away. I was crying. I was, it was. I was really sobbing. And um. And and this was in the box. kidney, <laughs> and it was one side was like a sad, and then oh. the other side was smiling. And he gave that to me and he said he was going to lay down his life for me on December 5th, 2019. And I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I, I, it was very overwhelming for me. And, um, this week is my anniversary. We just celebrated my three year anniversary at his home. He's Italian. We brought Italian food and, uh, and, um,
0: How is he doing?
1: He's doing great. I mean, he still drives his truck. (laughs) And the, uh, he said he feels like nothing happened. he He feels maybe better than he did before. because they say that there's a study that kidney donors live longer than the general population. It's a little misleading because they're the healthiest people that they allow to donate. It's a little misleading, but they do live longer than the general population. It doesn't it they live long because they have that extra feeling of did something great, but it's also they're very healthy going in um, and uh, uh, remember the donor Sabbath that we did that meeting Mm -hmm. in November? Well, a few weeks ago, uh, the pastor who hosted that thing with the network, um, I spoke to him. I said, it's donor Sabbath. Now, maybe we want to do something. And so he did a whole um, service instead of doing his uh, sermon at this other, it's called El Shaddai. That's in Nazareth, another church in Nazareth. Mm -hmm. And so we were there and he, I was there with my donor and I was, and his daughter, it turns out the pastor's daughter, had donated a lobe of her liver um eight years ago to save a 10 month old baby. She was oh. called by God, yeah. And so the boy's eight, I met him, he was there. He's eight years old now. Mm-hmm. And um, and the daughter lives in Florida. So she was on the television Zoom, you know, on the screens. Thing. Uh-huh. And, then, and then also I was there with my donor, and then it was like a whole organ, sort of like that that uh, it's a chapter in my book called A Room Full of Love about how I decided to say yes after that day. I mean, how that meeting with the man the, and the daughter,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that was like, a, at the last six chapters of my book, I did the kid, that part of what happened, boom, boom, boom. The beginning part of the book, I mean, the rest, it was different, amazing stories from my life of miracles that happened, not, not related to the kidney necessarily, but how um, there were other times I was saved you know, there were other things that happened, how God intervened unexpectedly and sent people. That was why the cover with the people with the life preserver mm-hmm. was a famous baseball player, that guy in the picture, uh, Doc Gooden, that Carlos would know who he is. I don't think Carlos even knows that story. But um, well, he read the book, so he knows the story. But, mm-hmm. um, but that the people were coming into my life that had no reason to be in my life, that were there, that were coming back. It was a lot of things. So, was, but the last part of the book, I talked about that about the what happened and um and so yeah so is that the church that i spoke and just so
0: since december fifth twenty nineteen you're a new man you were reborn
1: yeah Jewish partners to nazareth jewish huh? God to nazareth and he gets reborn right jewish <laughs> body to Nazareth.
0: do you remember um, exactly what you did after receiving the phone call?
2: Yeah, the, yes.
0: What Uh, did you do? Who did you call? What did you do? Did you celebrate? What did you do that day? I
1: I talked about that in the book. I did, I called, uh, my wife was at work and I called her, she was in shock. And I was not very like, um, when I got the call from the transfer coordinator, she was expecting some kind of big excitement. I was very quiet and stunned, you know, stunned. I couldn't believe that. You know, I I was very, uh, like very like, um, more like internal about it. Like, you know, it wasn't like that kind of a thing. And I called my daughter, she was in her freshman, she went on to college. I mean, she was a first semester. This is right before the pandemic. I had the transplant right before the pandemic, December, just the critical follow-up, And then went right into the pandemic. I never got to go back to the transplant center. It was very hard in that sense, ready to restart my life. And everything just stopped, you know, but my daughter, I called in, in her, um, she was just ready to go to dinner with her friends in like the cafeteria, school cafeteria. And uh, I guess she was in shock and I just heard Lizzie, are you okay? Lizzie, Lizzie. And she had like (laughs) just sort of just like was overwhelmed and started crying, you know, um, But it's just, there were a lot of many, many more things that happened. Um, But that was like not, that was But wait,
0: that day you received the phone call, you made the phone calls to your wife, to your daughter. Mm -hmm. And what do do you do?
2: What did you do?
1: I I really was not, I was alone because my wife was living in, my wife continued working in New Jersey and she was uh, staying, she had rented a room to stay. I had an apartment room staying there close to her job because she had the medical coverage from my transplant. So she stayed in the job to do that. Um, so she wouldn't lose all her benefits and everything. And I was alone pretty much by myself. I wasn't, we, my daughter went to college. So I wasn't really like out doing, um, maybe I called, um, there was a, there was a woman who was the, ma- um, the charge nurse in dialysis. Her name was Lorraine, my like angel, like the person that was just like, I could just see her, I got calm, you know. And she took care of me for two years in the dialysis. The first two years, Mm -hmm. and uh, she, I, 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 this is something interesting about the book and about what I did in dialysis. And I share some of the stories. And it's, I don't know if Carl has mentioned anything, but um, I decided to make it like, like a positive thing about being in dialysis. And I wanted to not be about me. And I tried to, to. I was looking at how, what I could do for other people that made me feel good, but I was looking at people that may not qualify, you know, elderly people. And I was trying to do that. And some people really, it really helped me to be able to look outside myself. And most people are not in dialysis, like coming in high-fiving everybody and doing, people don't do that doesn't happen. Like, and it was weird, but, but I was trying to make people's dreams come true in dialysis, Um, you know, before I even qualified to be on the list or to be, I was, looking around and I wanted to be close to the people and I became close with a lot of the people I was alert I was young and I was like the second set of eyes you know another set of eyes and if somebody was bleeding or a few people they couldn't get to but I was saying you you know things were a lot of things happened um but I was trying to look at what other people were going through and trying to encourage them and a lot of miracles happened as a result of like focusing on and it became like a thing that um
0: Give us one example
1: of one okay. of those miracles. Okay, so this is a, this is a story in the book. I mean, you, no one's going to get the book. Uh, <laughs> there was a man. There was a man sitting next to me in the beginning of Dallas named Joe, and he was very angry and bitter, and he was really um, he just yelled all the time. He just he was just screaming all the time, like at the nurses and stuff. And I he wanted an earlier treatment time. He didn't. He wanted his stomach. He had some stomach issues, and he wanted to come. And he was just angry and. He was an amputee, he was, he was missing, he had one leg, uh, he had lost one leg and he was wanting to get like a prosthesis and he was trying to do that so he couldn't drive and his wife, he was just yelling angry all the time. And I wanted to get to him, I wanted to get through to him in some way. So I, one day when he was a little calmer, I asked him about his life and what he and it turned out he had been a professional musician. He, was, he had been a guitar player. um, the largest music festival on east coast turns out is in Bethlehem it's called the music fest and that's a thing it's like the largest I think or one of the in the east coast um, he had played his last gig at the music fest years ago years before and I said wow that's amazing I said you know he said I have a video of my band's last gig I said why don't you bring it in we have the television screens here he lit up you know it was like oh my gosh you know people would see that he had a talent, a gift, something. He wasn't just a Mm sick man on dialysis. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: he asked the nurse, the nurse said, okay. And they had a system in the back that they could put in for educational things. And you could just go, if you wanted to watch it, you go to channel 29 or whatever. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: he was so excited. And and that Saturday he was just, you know, like so excited to bring in, he brought in, he presented it to the nurse and the nurse said, oh no, after all, it's against the rules. We can't do that. It's against the rules. And it was humiliating why why had they told him to bring it in Ah. so i took the video and i said i'll bring it home i could watch and i came back after watching it and made a big deal in front of everyone wow it was amazing you know and everything and we became friends we became friends and i exchanged numbers he got his prosthetic uh leg prosthesis and he uh liked to fish and so he changed he finally i told him why don't you talk to the manager In the back, you know, just make an appointment. I'm sure she could help you, you know, that that yelling is not the way, you know, but you could make an appointment. He did and he listened and he got his treatment time. He got his leg and then he changed his his day. Like he went to another day to get the time. So I didn't see him then for a while and he didn't call. I tried to get in touch with him. He wasn't really motivated really to get together. And then one day that summer, this is a few months later, he did call me. And he said, "I want to come to your home. I want to play a concert for you, you and your family. So I don't have time, you know, to get a call at short notice." That no, it's just for you and your daughter and your wife in the backyard. I just want. So he thought he was going to bring an acoustic guitar. He's going to play a little thing, you know, just bring his guitar. But no, he showed up in the driveway. He drove by himself. He had his leg, and he opened the trunk of the car. He said he needed a tent because he had want to be out of the sun. Mm-hmm. And he popped the trunk of his car. He had amplifiers and microphones and oh. all kinds of sound boards and everything. It took him 45 minutes to set up under the tent. And <laughs> he just started to rock and roll. And he had his band, blue bandana around his head, and uh-huh. he had everything set up. And he just started going. The music blasted throughout the neighborhood, you know. <laughs> and I said, What would you like for lunch in advance? He said, I'd just like a hamburger and I'd like macaroni sound. And so my wife made nice hamburgers and made homemade, you know macaroni salad mm-hmm. and he, after an hour he played for an hour
0: wow he took
1: a lunch break he loved the hamburger he loved the macaroni salad
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he said i want to play one last set i want to play one more and 45 minutes he played and he was like rock and roll i mean he was going crazy he was singing and everything <laughs> and um we helped him you know pack up the car and he seemed exhausted but satisfied that he did this
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um and he was on a different day. So when I went in on the Tuesday, he was there the day before. And I said, all he talked about, Joe talked about to the nurses and everyone was his concert at Jay's house. you know? And, oh, and so oh. this went on for a couple of weeks that he just talked nonstop about how he did that. And that was like very fulfilling for him, mm-hmm. clearly. And it was unexpected that he would just call me out of the blue to do that. Mm-hmm. And that it was a really special thing for him. And for us, I took some videos and stuff. And then just three weeks later, um, I was at the end of my treatment at the end. I was the last patient there. And that nurse Lorraine said she had some bad news. You don't really want to know about bad news? Like, what are you talking about? Like you're on a chick thing connected to a machine and they're telling you there's bad news. And uh, Joe died. Joe had died just three weeks later. He died in his sleep that morning. And I was crying um, and I was holding the nurse's hand. And she said, aren't you glad that you were able to help make Joe's last performance possible. And so the story is called Joe's last performance. And people just really moved by that story. And he inspired me, Joe inspired me from that. That was sort of organic, it just happened, but I think it came from, you know, just really reaching out to him and trying to get him to open up and to set, you know, and he really responded to that. And then he, this magic happened, you know, that he wanted, and people think um, that it was just his, last wish that he was fulfilled in the end that he mm. wanted to play one more time and that's what people say that and so because of that i thought i would intentionally try to make people's dreams come true in dialysis and i did mm-hmm. i made a staff member's dream come true I, I wrote about that in the book i i another man that was very uh sick and very angry at times um who was a fascinating guy um and i a famous person helped me make his make that happen and so i was doing all these things i was forgot that i was on dialysis i was sort of not even thinking about it it was hard to do dialysis like physically hard because you're very tired and worn out i was working so every day i worked i worked the morning i went to dialysis the and then i worked the next day you know but i worked from home doing booking speakers and stuff with my speaker thing and i started to think about like um uh, what, 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 Who are the people that I would, what would be my thing to do? So I started a reconnection tour and that was my, another thing I did. And I started to, and I brought my daughter with me on tour and I wanted to see and in, in, see into my life and see what, who were some of the people that had a positive impact on my life. So we went to New Orleans, I met a guidance counselor that I hadn't seen in 35 years. I knew for one year, she was 85 years old and Aww. we went to New Orleans and my family was from New Orleans. My mother was from New Orleans. So I had lived there. For like two a couple of years, mm-hmm. and she was a really amazing person who planted the seed of why I was doing what I was doing. So, I, I was thinking of who were the people that really were made a pot. If I don't make it, I want to really go back and thank them. And so, I went, my daughter came with me on almost all the all that. So, she got to see about my life, and I did um, uh, interviews from the dialysis year called Dialing from Dialysis. So, mm-hmm. I would call people and do interviews, you're beep, beep, beep in the background, and, <laughs> and I was interviewing people. And then, um I was making people's dreams come true. so i and then I was also doing like, no one does this. i was I, I made a concert for the patients in the in the dialysis center, like another guy, not him, but uh, another man from the church uh, donated his time, and then uh-huh. locations were in the lobby. He made the whole performance. And I just was trying to think of everything I could do to to be outside of myself, right? And so it was a fascinating time. So I knew there was a book. I knew I was going to write, and um, that was the other yes at the end, it, you know, was fast forward to having a transit, going to the pandemic. The pandemic kind of allowed me to um, to stop. I mean, everything stopped, and it was kind of hard for me because I I couldn't go back to the hospital. To I, It was all on the phone with, like, you know, I had a complication, and they were just talking me on the phone, talking it through, um, and I couldn't go out. It was too dangerous, um, you know, with the pandemic. So I was mm-hmm. confined and my uh, daughter and wife were uh, scared to go to the supermarket because they could just, just that would in my life. I mean, if they got sick and they got me sick and I was so vulnerable. And mm-hmm. so um, there was a lot, but um, but I started writing about my life stories and then. Um,
0: so the, the pandemic allowed you to yes. have the time it's, it's, yes. to write your book.
1: Yeah. And I, I really did it sort of not with like a necessarily an outline, but I was writing some of the stories about that and some of the things. But the yes for me was that I had never really shared about the traumas of my childhood and things that happened in my family, and um, and I wrote about that and what the miracles were, what was saving me, why did this famous baseball player that was that everybody knows, why was he did he come into my life unexpectedly? and kind of like saved my life when I was a kid, then came back into my life unexpectedly, personally. I mean, we're close friends now, but very unusual things that happen. Um, there was a woman who um, I met when I was 19 years old um, who didn't speak English, she was Dominican, and she wanted to pray with me. It was, it's in the book, it's a little unusual, but that's something in the book you have to read about. But she, right before I started dialysis in 2016, I got a, a message. From this woman and her daughter, thirty some, almost thirty three decades later, I didn't really wasn't thinking about her, but all the years she'd been thinking about me, and something that had happened that she that was also another miracle. Uh, uh, it's hard to understand, but she had been looking for me for almost three decades that I didn't know she was looking for me, and they she was searching, couldn't remember, she knew I was Jewish with a J, and the last name was G. And her daughter went on to become a social worker. All she talked about through her childhood was that you got to find this guy, me, and that's a little hard to handle. Um, And I didn't know why exactly, but she did in 2016, the daughter found me on Facebook. And I was 19, I was 40, you know, in my forties. And she said, I think that's him. And so that also really inspired me about the reconnection tour. because I was wondering who would I look for in my life? She's looking for me. And, And it wasn't until a year, it wasn't until I was on dialysis I went on to dialysis, and two years later, um, I she was someone on she was on the reconnection tour because I was really wondering like, but why though? Like, why was that? I didn't really get it. I mean, I knew where I met her, but and when she told me, it really changed my life. Like, for what 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 had happened that made her never forget about me? That's a little unexpected if you read the book. I think if Carlos, uh, probably he was thinking, I never knew this guy, you know? Um, it was a God thing, it was a God thing. It was a, it was a, uh, a so that I'm not gonna say, but that, that was a God driven event that I was not really aware. I, I knew something had happened, but I didn't know, I didn't get it until that many years later, almost 30 years later, when she's telling me what had happened from her end, you know, you know her, her side. side of it. Of it. And um, I was a teenager. And um, so that she, a lot of things just happened in a way, in a sequence that seemed like a series of miracles. And I wrote on my book description, you know, what if you choose to see your life as a series of miracles? If you just, mm-hmm. Everyone has that. Maybe you're just not thinking about it, right? I mean, you have. Everyone has the maybe not as dramatic in some cases, but but you have those things. Maybe it's just thinking about it. You know how we get from things to things. My examples may be a little bit extreme. Like how this woman was looking for me. Maybe though, people don't have people looking for them for 30 years. I don't know. But, um, or that there's a man. And remember the man who donated to me?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He was 20 men in a church. He was a one in 100,000 perfect match for me, sitting next to me in a church that i not even I'm Jewish going to the church. And so there were a lot of miracles that maybe were a little on the extreme outside of things. Um, so yeah, I wrote the book. And in the end, I was not going to publish the book. And the final yes was I was I was I really and my wife was a little bit like well what are my coworkers might think of this book you know about telling a lot of things about your life and everything and that kind of hurt me a lot um, but I you know that, that what was, made you
0: say yes to publishing your book
1: um, it was November first twenty twenty one and I don't think I ever really said this uh, this publicly but I. Um, I was giving up, you know, and I was very depressed, you know, that being so isolated for so long, and um, also thinking this was always had been my dream to Matt writing a book. Um, didn't know that this was going to be the book or that I was going to have these experiences. Um, and I felt um, I was I, I was sitting in my car, and I drove home from the supermarket pretty depressed, and uh, and I something came over me. Don't give up. Just just look on the internet. And just call up three editors, you know, because I wanted to get a copy edit, someone outside of me that could just read this and just see, you know. And I was Mm -hmm. hesitant. And I, the first person said they just had a heart attack, the -hmm. editor, and he said he was a spiritual editor, you know, spiritual books, and that he unfortunately he was sick and he wouldn't be able to help me for another um, year and a half. I said, I wish you the best though, you know, I wish you a recovery, but I wouldn't. I'm I'm going to go ahead, you know. And then a lady in Texas. And then I saw this one man on 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 the on his website. I knew he was the one. I just saw him and the way his words on the website, like a Hector type, you know, really like uh-huh. a Hector. And I saw him and I said, yes, that's the guy. And I said, I don't know if I can afford that. You know, um, what, really what I wanted was really someone to read, copy edit, and to just, you know, some some guidance, but mainly just that. And he said, send me two stories. I want to see what your writing level is. So I sent him Joe's Last Performance and another story called The doc I Needed, which is related to the baseball player and my family, which mm-hmm. is really the, the raw uh, thing, tragedy that happened in my family. Mm-hmm. And he wrote back, Well, did you already have this professionally edited, Joe's Last Performance? And I said, No, I had no help with this, you know. And he said, Well, you're a really good writer. You're not, you didn't have no training. And no, I said, That's pretty shocking. This is really, really good. You're a really good writer. And, and mm-hmm. as he said, so he said um, he spent like two hours with me, no charge, on the phone. And he said you could do the book this way or this way, put it together. It didn't make sense to me. And I waited another four months—November, December, January, February, March. I waited. I knew I had. It. I wanted to work with him, but I wasn't sure if it fit the way. So he says, just send me. So I didn't send him everything. So it was another waiting time. And I finally, in March, I think it was then March 2022. Is that possible? March. Mark, I think it feels like it was longer ago, but I think it was November 2021, then went into March 2022, right? And I finally got the courage and I, he said, just send me them in an order that you think would be good. Because could, you could do a collection of stories. And the woman that, you know, the woman that I was mentioning that was looking for me became mm-hmm. now a second mother to me. I call her my Aww. spiritual mom. She's my second mom, spiritual mom. And she's the most amazing. But what happened and what her is very bizarre. What happened to her, and what's happened? What's happened? And there's a lot. The book is all is is, is weird. It's it's unbelievable what uh, what's happened. But she um, she was uh, not well, and I wa- and she was encouraging me, finish the book, just finish the book. And I thought I really need to push ahead. So I sent all the stories in the thing and he said, um, "Well, I mean, I just I just got to say this." You know, it's not about anything. i just about me and you, right? So, and whoever's going to watch this. But, <laughs> but, the, but the editor, his name is Dave, Dave Reith He is such a sensitive Hector. Like I, I could just imagine like, you know, that kind of a person.
2: Mm-hmm. And he,
1: um, I didn't ask for anything. I just said he made me a really good price because he said he didn't really have to do that much, but he was going to do more for me to he help me organize, you know, do what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And um, he sent me back the first draft and he included an editor's mm-hmm. note So that was, I didn't ask for that. An editor's note? And it was, so he wrote this. He said, before I began to edit Jay's memoir. Now, meanwhile, um, before I read this, I say there was a doctor that I had that I've known for 30 years and he wanted me to send him stories. That was the original thing about during dialysis. I said, why do you need stories from me? And he said, well, because I'm best friends with the manager of a famous author. He said, well, I don't say that's going to help me. I'm not really... Looking to be published, I'm just gonna maybe self publish or something. He said, mm-hmm. "No." He says, "I send me the stories." And when I send him the stories, he says, "Your stories are like Doritos. I can't read just one. I can't eat just one." <laughs> so I said, "Well, who is the author? Uh, who's this guy uh, that you're friends with? He was a top doctor. He had a lot of connections." And I said, "He said he's the. It's, it's on a need-to-know basis. You don't. You know, I'm not going to tell you that."
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but then eventually he said that who the friends, the longtime manager of this famous author happens to be my favorite author, my favorite inspirational author. What's the likely, another miracle. I thought I didn't write that in the wow. book, Always some strange thing like that.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: he, I had shared that and this is what the man wrote. So the editor wrote this. Before I began to edit Jay's memoir, he and I had several emotionally strong conversations about the book, about his book and the extraordinary connections he has made in his life. Jay is an outgoing, big hearted man who has a deep desire to get to know people and help them in any way he can. As such, people gravitate toward him, open their hearts, and share their remarkable stories with him. In our conversations, Jay and I bonded over a mutual fascination with writer Mitch Album, the Detroit Free Press sports columnist, who went on to author many bestsellers such as Tuesdays with Mari.
0: <gasps> I just got that book from um, um, these mini libraries that they put on the street with yeah. books that you can just borrow.
1: You just got that. That's straight. That's unbelievable. Yes. Jay and I greatly admired album's writing style, specifically his ability to bring out the personality, humanity, and emotional impact of the men and women he writes about. When Jay and I were younger writers, album inspired both of us to touch writers, touch readers Mm -hmm. in similar ways to touch readers. Mm -hmm. During our phone conversations before I read his manuscript, Jay and I discussed how to organize the chapters in this book. I told him, just send me the chapters in non-chronological order in a sequence that simply felt right to him. He did so. And it was the right decision. decision. <laughs>
2: I never asked for this. I never asked for anything, you know.
1: Throughout my edit of Jay's manuscript, throughout my edit of Jay's manuscript, I felt transported back to the late 1980s when I read the live album, a seemingly scattered collection of Mitch's best free press columns, but with a thread of humanity connecting the stories. It was a warm, sometimes melancholy and often joyful reading experience. I did not have a similar experience until 34 years later while reading Jay's collection of life stories in this remarkable book, With whether it's the story of the sweet-hearted dancer who offered to donate a kidney to Jay, or the day he held hands in prayer with Pastor Daryl Strawberry, or a toast of gratitude from Jay's good friend Mike the Clown. These indelible stories surprise, inspire, and pull at the heartstrings. I hope you are as moved as much as I was by Mysterious Ways, David Aretha. Now, I didn't know that I was getting that. I didn't ask for that, but there's connections of so many things coming together and I knew I was in the right hands. and I said, yes, you know, to, he encouraged me to publish the book and to do the book. I almost didn't share the book. And so I've gotten so much response, you know, not everyone's going to take the time to write a review or anything. Like I have 34 five-star reviews on Amazon. Okay. I'm being a little uh, out there, but I, um, uh, I get so many notes and calls and side private messages. And and it, you remember, my wife was concerned about oh, what are my coworkers doing? Well, her coworkers, several of them, read the book, saw it on Facebook, whatever. Read the book, and they were the most amazing supporters of my book. The psych, school psychologist, the, the director, this one, that one, other one, they loved the book. They wrote reviews. They wanted to talk to me. They wanted more copies. They wanted to have in their book club. I mean, it was overwhelming to me. I I literally. Couldn't handle as much, you know, it was like John announcing that he was the donor. It was a hard day, but mm-hmm. it was also revealing the most, per- some of the most personal things about my life that I had never shared with anyone. Um, Some of the things. And um, I think I was a little nervous, you know, Carlos got the book. I mean, I think you know, he wouldn't have known it, those things. When I met him in England, you know, he did, you know, a few years before I had gone through some of the most traumatic things. And um, he, uh, I'm glad that he decided to read the book or whatever, but it was like, you know, I think I've just gotten over this. So these past five, six months, I've gotten over the that feeling of like, okay, it's out there. It's out there. It's out there. It's out there now. You know, I just finished recording my audiobook. So many people requested they wanted to hear my voice reading. Uh-huh. So I recorded it and uh, a friend of mine who was a, a blind motivational speaker. Wow. He actually put me in touch with an award-winning uh audiobook producer. I uh-huh. said I wouldn't be able to afford that right now. He said, No. He told him my story and the guy said we're going to do this we're going to make it happen. So he trained me, <gasps> my software, I recorded and he's doing all the engineering and the and the mastering of all the the audio and uh-huh. I said th- and I thought by Christmas that it could be It's going to be out? He's submitting it but he said it takes time the process on Audible and Amazon. Okay. Not, like doesn't go up the same day. So I was hoping Maybe why
0: not? But it's gonna be December, January. Yes,
1: yes, and so, so I, we can
0: find your book in Amazon.com.
1: On Amazon.com, the paperback. And the
0: audiobook is coming.
1: Yes, and right now the paperback and the Kindle is there. And um I know it sounds like I said a lot, but there's a lot in that in the book. And I never thought that I would tell anyone I was on dialysis. I said yes. I I I was saying yes to the doctor just to go about. I was scared to go get the. Was I qualify? Would I qualify? um after that and then to um and then to be able to make it through the transplant um to and then the pandemic and everything else so um and then the book and you know i just want to say that again if i seem like i'm just being um not humble forgive me but it's not about that it's just about um I you know how in dialysis I wanted to try to be you know do stuff for, um so I thought, you know, my business ended or stopped or whatever, and it was a hard time because there was a pandemic. I booked speakers in schools, no school.
2: <laughs>
1: so I said, um, what could I do? And I started to connect with people on my own. I became an ambassador for the gift of life three days before they closed the world down in March. Of 2020. Oh, wow. But I wanted to help people. So I just spontaneously connected with a few people that led to another few people. And I started walk. you heard from walking alongside, it's like a thing they say in the church, like walking alongside, encouraging people. They say that. I learned that are walking alongside people to encourage them. I just use that term. But I was just encouraging people on their kidney journeys. And it was really magical for me to share everything that I knew, that I learned from them. And then they became like family to me. So uh, mm-hmm. one woman who was from Ecuador, uh, lives in New Jersey. She had a donor, but the administration at the time, the past one, they wouldn't get the of the visa and he was to come to donate. And mm-hmm. she was about my, you know, she was 49 years old, wonderful lady. And her husband, she had a, she had a, eight, a five-year-old son, mm-hmm. she had a young son. Now he's eight. And I, she, I just didn't know her or anything. I just, she said, I need a kidney for my five-year-old son, a five-year-old.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I, she said, no, my son doesn't need a kidney. <clears> I need a kidney so I can be alive for my five-year-old son, be there for him. You know, she, it was oh. that. So I, but I started giving her suggestions and um, she was just uh, very hesitant at first. And then she just started opening up to make her campaign for herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, she even went to the Jewish organization. She wasn't, also wasn't Jewish, but she uh, did a meeting <laughs> and I helped her, but it helped her in the process of putting her story out there. And the husband was like in the background but she kept calling me, kept you know uh, messaging me and I give her another idea, and she would do it and everything. And then finally, I was helping other people, and then I got a message from her. I, I got I was transplanted. She was in the hospital, and uh, Senator Menendez, he's a U.S. senator from New York. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, know that name? Uh-huh. He, he she, yeah. Do you know that he's a U.S. Yes. senator? He basically, um, I said, why don't you go to the media? And I don't know if I had something to do with it, but he, she did uh, seek out. Uh, like publicity. And, and he got, uh found out about her case
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he got the visa for the nephew to come and Aww. he donated to her. And she called me right after the surgery, like the next morning. And I didn't know that was happening at that moment. I was helping doing other things, with other people. And it was just my way of like, just not, you know, just being, feeling good about helping somebody else. I mean, it's just, it was strange. So, um, and I was learning, and so she said that uh, she wanted to share with me later, a few months later, like what was really going through her mind and how I didn't realize that what I was doing with her, like what I was helping with her with, potentially, to how much it meant, like to her. I mean, it was like overwhelming how much she thought of it. And she wanted to tell me all about what was going on in her mind, and she said, I, you know, how she didn't think that she was going to make it, and then she bumped into me and in Facebook, whatever, and. I didn't realize it was that big of a thing and she was expressing herself. So I said, do you want to be in the book? And she said, I would love to be write the story. So I wrote her story. One person's story in the book mm-hmm. it was right before the epilogue and it's called Tamara's miracle. It's Aww. about her story. And I was wondering, what is she going to think about my life though? She doesn't know about my life. Mm-hmm. What is she going to think when she reads about my life and the traumas of my life and stuff. And I was a little nervous about those kinds of things. You know, and she became the biggest champion of my book. She Aww. loved the book. She said she didn't want it to end, and that she was posting pictures. She made she did so many things about, and um, and she became a really close friend. And we've been to visit her at her son's birthday party in New Jersey. And um, she is really doing well. Like she's doing great. Uh, she just became a real estate agent. I mean, she's like really wow.
2: Good, good.
1: And um. So all these people are part of my life like in some ways now um someone in a lady in Tennessee that lived on a farm in Tennessee she calls me her little brother and uh, and then uh, there was a guy in Connecticut and um he had three transplants because he has a genetic disorder and he was a great guy and I, he even wrote a testimonial for my book I, uh, and then there was a guy all people different parts of the country mm-hmm. and it became very much like what can I do I'm not I didn't see anyone anymore. I wasn't in dialysis. I had no one, I was alone. And then that became like a big thing for me to, and then that now I do that now. Now people call and I just share with them. I also became a navigator, a kidney navigator for the National Kidney Foundation.
0: What's that, what's a navigator? It's like
1: sort of like a little piece of what I was doing. They developed this uh, program for helping people to um, share their story. A need of a living kidney donor and they had really nice people and so i tr- did the training online and i got my first client mm-hmm. and tomorrow we're going to be right helping him write his story about Aww. his need and he said I, and it, it, it's interesting to to see where people are in their journey and mm-hmm. if i'm like one little, little speck of a somebody that could just you know share something mm-hmm. and so i'm an ambassador for the gift of life in philadelphia then i became this other navigator thing most of the stuff i was just making up doing helping and trying to help something. And um, and um, so now I got invited to speak at a, a library in New York about my book. Somebody <laughs> read the book. So I'm going on January 14th to do that. I really didn't, I was scared to go out too much, even now with all the flu season and everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But this is what I want to do is i want. I was booking speakers from behind the scenes, right?
2: Mm-hmm. I was the one
1: always helping people and the theme of my bureau stopped me. I'm talking a lot. But the theme of my speaker's bureau was overcoming adversity. I never told anyone why I made that bureau. It's in the book, but I mean, like that's, that was, I was behind the thing, helping people as speaker that had cerebral palsy, somebody was paralyzed, uh, people that were from gang, that uh, had been a gang member who became a high school principal, people that are part of, you know, <laughs> all kinds of people like that. And that, that sort of, I was sort of just behind it. And, and now
0: you're becoming the speaker?
1: And that's what I really wanna do now. And people are maybe interested. I don't know, would you be interested in hearing that story? I don't know. Would you be <laughs> I'm just saying, would, you, would that be interesting to someone just on the outside world, You know, sharing about overcoming this type of challenge or in other things? I mean, you don't know about my life totally. Maybe you read the book. Maybe Carl will also give you the book.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for him to finish it, to read it myself. Of course, it would be a very interesting story. So it that's so many stories within you your own story that I'm I'm just picturing like a series of books. Yeah. <laughs> you, you publish this one with all these stories, but the stories continue. Yes, uh, going on. And so exactly. it's like volume one, volume two, three.
1: <laughs> yes, that's true. I mean, you know, I went to the I finally made it back to the Transplant Center uh uh-huh. September 1st, and they gave me the full workup and said I'm doing great. And the transplant, the head, uh, chief physician assistant, this late, great lady, her name is Yehona. the chief of the, they take care of the patients after, and she's the head of the thing, and she's great. Uh, She said that she, I sent her the book, as just like, oh, you know, and she said, thank you. And then she said, I made it halfway through the book. And then, sorry, but that she had a patient who had a living donor and backed out. She was too scared to get the transplant. She thought it would be too much for her. I never heard of that. But she said she gave her my book, and she thought my book might be encouraging to her. That was I was like. So she said, "I want you to write the next book." And she gave me like uh, the outline. She says, "I want you to write a book for uh, like a guidebook for um, transplant pa- for kidney patients and for transplant." And so I'm gonna. I think that's gonna be a shorter book. But that'll be like. And then someone else uh, suggested the editor suggested, "Why don't you expand upon one of the like you said?" So you you got it. So, but I really <laughs> enjoy that. I really enjoy the. I, I really find the writing. That that's my calling. I always was a good writer, but I think there's so much that it's. I feel like I would be remiss not to try, you know to do. Thank because you.
0: This also interesting. It's sharing our personal stories. is always very difficult, and because it makes us very vulnerable. Like your wife was saying, she was feeling vulnerable by you sharing all these very intimate stories, but it's the best way to really connect with other human beings is like the best connection is when you share all these very personal stories you make them public and then someone else i mean we're more than eight billion people you know how many people have lived yeah. similar things you are or can learn from your story and take a different path just because they heard you they read you they no, because they they found about you.
1: Yeah, I mean it's you know it's true that it can happen. I mean uh, you know I'm happy that I could live to see you know my daughter is like everything like like uh, Maya you know it's um, my I'll just if it's a little another little thing is that can you believe this right before I went to you'll understand it when you read it but that's it's some of my life and family thing is very strange and unusual mm-hmm. but I when I right before I published the book like a few days before maybe in the week leading up I got an email this is not in the book this the, the, uh and it was a man saying are you the J the son of Dr. Gittleson now I knew the name I, I have a very good memory I was six years old and this was a former student my father was a biologist he was a biology professor at that university where we went to where Carlton and I went but the campus I went to Mm-hmm. And he had not paid much attention about his own kids, but he did mentor and help some other people. And this was a guy that I remembered. And he went on to be um, well, I didn't know what happened, but he I knew he was a smart guy. And my father helped him. And he says, I've been looking for your father. I've been in, you know, he's been in touch with my father for 50 years. So I was I was six, he was 18 as a freshman in college. I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. must be like in his mid-sixties. mm mm-hmm. And uh, he contacted me looking for my father and even though I didn't have always a great relationship with him, I had also been trying to get in touch with him, but this man for sure was a reinforcement. Something was not right. Um, And um, he said that my father was the father that he never had. And I, Wanted to say, well, my father was the father. I never had either, but no, I didn't say. It. <laughs> but he, but I wanted to keep it very positive, right? Positive. It turns out he went on. My father got his PhD at uh, UCLA. He had gone on with the help of my father, have an all expense paid PhD, and he was also a biologist and then gone on to corporate pharmaceutical research. He was a very successful, very in corporate pharmaceutical. I didn't know anything. So I'm thinking, where did he live? In California, Arizona? You know, I'm looking on his like thing. He lives in Pennsylvania Mm. and, um, and I very positive and he was really great guy, really great guy. And he, um, unexpected, you know, mysterious ways, you know, that, and I'm like, well, he would know nothing about my life or anything. I told him I had a daughter and he lived 20 minutes from the university where my daughter goes to school. And my my daughter is a microbiology major in the pre-med. So he was like, I would really like to get in touch with her. So he, my father, to him, was his beloved professor, and he wanted to sort of, in a way, be a mentor to the granddaughter of his, you know, who was also in the biological thing. It was very unexpected, and we went to dinner. He invited mm-hmm. us to dinner. My daughter and I met him. We spoke for six hours.
0: Wow.
1: could not understand. It was hard to comprehend the lack of relationship that my father had with me because his was so full and wonderful. It was a very emotional time and it was also very unexpected. And then he bought the book. <laughs> then I didn't hear from him <laughs> right away, you know? Um, it was hard, I think. I was just trying to protect him in a way, you know, from not wanting to damage any positive. I said, I said you're a blessing in our lives, mm-hmm. you know, that you came into our lives and there should be no reason for you to have, it. I mean, your experience with my father was amazing. And so I, there's nothing to take away from that. And I said, my father, um, I have no confirmation because his second wife has not. My father lived abroad in another country, so he lived not in. And have had no thought no, he was uh, off the grid. So I had no contact. And his wife has not reached out to me with anything. He's not around, but I don't know what happened to him. Very strange, mysterious. This book is my wife. Is like, but um, I told the man, you know, the the student. Okay. Was my 60s i said my father did leave a, a, a gift behind you to him Aww. he's the gift and so he had we've been in touch you know and he's a really great guy um so a lot of unusual things happen right around the time of this happening like it was like strange um but um it's just in my life somebody said jay do you ever have an ordinary day Do you ever have an ordinary day, Jay? I'm like, I don't think so. My day is not ordinary. (laughs) But that's, I don't know. How is that possible? I'm asking you. How can someone be having these things happening all the time like that? Maybe it's just because I'm... Well,
0: I I was telling Carlos the the other day he was sharing some of the stories in your book. And I said, it's interesting because he calls it miracles. But what I can see is these things are happening in his life because he's paying attention he's paying attention to the human beings that are in front of him that are part of his life that just the, the guy that crosses the street that yes because he's paying attention all these beautiful things are happening yes that's the key
1: yes and i totally 100 percent agree and i i made this little heading on i think one of the on the one of the descriptions what if you choose to see your life as a series of miracles, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's true. Like I think, like I said in the beginning, I think that it's happening, and maybe you, people aren't just paying attention to it, right? I do. This I morning, do. morning,
0: this morning, for example, Maya was not. In, um, she decided recently that she doesn't like Mondays. <laughs> it's the start of the school week, and so Carlos told her something in the morning, and then I. I uh, told her something before she left, which was basically, you decide in your mind, with your attitude, how you want to live today. Mm-hmm. And when she came back from, back from school, she said, you and Papa were right, because I had a wonderful day. And it all started because I thought of what you told me. And I said, yes, this day can be fun. <laughs> That's
2: amazing. amazing. And
0: Monday as last week, but it's a different attitude. It's a different way of going through life.
1: Yes, I I think that in many, you're 100 right. I think that in many ways, like, you know, I'm not sure why I want to pay attention to. I like to pay attention to the people that no one pays attention to, Mm -hmm. you know. And I found that's people are the most special. So if you get to it and you see some of the in the book of, you know, like. I'd be more interested in the interesting homeless man, you know, into you know the man who may be, you know, on the bottom end of society. Those are people, and I I just feel like more connected in some ways, you know. So it's it's true paying attention, but some people I just some people do maybe more so than I think. But I I really think it's unusual maybe that I would be wanting to be involved on a deep personal level with certain people, beyond just paying attention, you know. but you're right i think if people do pay more attention they would see a lot of the some things that are happening right mm-hmm. um but i wasn't trying i didn't think i was trying it's just the way that i am and maybe it's hurt me in a lot of ways you know maybe i get sidetracked in a lot of ways um paying attention <laughs> to things you know that um but when i saw that opportunity with joe and the dallas center or some of the other characters in my life maybe some maybe some of them don't even want to have anything to do with me and i kind of pushed my way in because I just want to get in there, you know? I'm a very different kind of guy, maybe, in this way. I don't think, like, if you want to get a PhD and you want to become a professor or a translator, I don't know if you're really going to be, you know, uh, worrying about the homeless guy. I don't know. Maybe, you know, like, I I do some things that are, like, outlandish, but for me become, in the end, like, rewarding, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not sure exactly, but...
0: You're like a collector of stories.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> collector of people and then stories after that i don't know but um well but jay know. thank you so we're much gonna,
0: we're um we're gonna have to end this i think maya and carlos already came back
1: <laughs> I, think, I told
0: them one hour and we have like oh, we have been talking for almost two so i can't
1: believe that i felt like a minute <laughs> Well, like a I'm minute. I
0: have to create two videos, part one and part two.
1: <laughs> I hope I just didn't go on too much, you know. But thank you. Oh,
0: it's very interesting. I mean, as I said, you're a collector of stories. You had so many stories to tell. I really appreciate you coming on. What thank if I you. say? Yes, your yeses are wonderful. There are a lot of things to learn about this world. Um, this world of um, our own health and transplants and donors and um, everything that goes with the personal stories. and Daughters,
1: daughters.
0: (laughs) And family and sharing and writing and helping other people um, do something they've never done before, inspiring people. Like all the many stories that you told us, that's why we've been talking for two hours. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for Thanks sharing for having the me. stories.
1: It was an honor to to be a part. I really was unexpected, but very wonderful. And uh, and thank you. And I was thinking, should I leave the dolly just in its le- in the leaves there and just let it? Maybe the kids are going to come back for it. The kids. I don't know. Come.
0: But what you do have to do is take a picture and send it to me. I when did. We need to put it at the end of the video. So I you said, already uh, have the picture?
1: Send it to Carlos. Text it to Carlos.
0: No, you can text it to me. Okay. Just send it to me.
1: Okay, so So
0: as I as you've seen in the previous videos, I at the end I put um I show pictures yeah. that have to do with the conversation we've had.
1: You want me to so, send it to you?
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay, that's good. Like how about this you one?
0: decide you decide what you want to share now. Yes, that has to be one. <laughs> A picture of your book, a picture of the kidney, what that give, a picture of whatever oh, you want to share yeah. and we'll right, put it our... at the end.
1: Oh, that's amazing. You're really so professional. <laughs> I also have a podcast and I sort of like lag behind because of the book, you know? Okay, and...
0: so send me, send me all the information so I can also post it.
1: Oh my gosh. That's... And
0: let's ask whoever watches this video, buy the book, you can find it in Amazon or the audiobook or the Kindle or whatever version you, you like. And please leave a review for Jay. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. You.
2: Thank I'll you. I'll wait for
0: your pictures and whenever I um, edit the videos and make the part one and part two, I'll, I'll let you know so you can also share them with the people you want.
1: Thank you. And I can share too on all the social media, you know?
0: Yes.
1: Thank you, have a great night.
0: Thank you, Jay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye.